0: Welcome to the morning community of Northridge Vineyard. Our deepest desire is that you will encounter Jesus as you listen in to our morning gathering. If you'd like to find out more about us, check out our website, northridge.org.au forward slash mornings. Rob, come on up. Why don't we pray for you, mate? Rob's going to continue our uh, being anchored we'll wrap in... Wrap up. Wrap up our series wrap up wrap the series up. on being anchored in him so lord we just thank you for this word amen. and holy spirit we just ask uh, that you would speak to us lord this morning through rob i thank you for the message you've given him lord yeah. lord and that you would bless him as he delivers it right now yeah. in jesus name yeah. amen yeah father i thank you sorry rob don't go away well yet i haven't finished <laughs> lord i thank you for your word father that we stand on your word and we're led by the spirit to find the truth of who you are big picture and for our lives and so lord as rob wraps up this series on being anchored in you father i ask that his words would your spirit would take his words that they'd be like arrows to our hearts and we would be drawn to you father amen <clears throat> Oh, um, Thank you, worship team, for just... Where are you? Run away. Uh, different places, just for pushing in um, today. You know, I just... I love this. I love... We unashamedly want to push in. And I know it, it's kind of uncomfortable, isn't it, at the moment? Because I don't know about you, but I'm a bit out of practice of standing and singing and worshiping and engaging in that way for... A good half an hour, and it—I uh, feel like there's some muscles there I haven't used for a while. But I'm just—you know—I just wanted to say, guys, I think this is really worthwhile us stretching those muscles out again, um, because it, it's there's this beautiful space, isn't there, when we when we push into that place of worship, when we think that there isn't much more there, and then God steps in and starts to do something that. Perhaps we've been longing for him to do. I um, am very conscious the last couple of years, um, as a as a church and as church communities, and I'm sure a lot of churches are feeling this. It can feel and see feel like uh, we are sort of treading water, or just really (laughs) struggling to get going in a particular direction. And I really felt the Lord saying, "It's not what it looks like. It kind of it, it it might look." Like we're struggling, whether personally or together, or as the all our church, you know, all the churches. But I felt the Lord remind me this morning: we're a people of faith, and being a people of faith means we see what is actually invisible, but is still very much there, and it's a very different story. And um, God's been speaking a little bit to us recently about that story that that he's wanting to tell and it's very different to the one that we perhaps see in front of us I really sense that God's wanting to do a new thing at the moment I don't know if that's this year I'm not going to put a time frame on it I just he's been giving us a couple of prophetic words recently about new wine coming and um, I just wanted to say guys I, I believe he's not only asking us to hope again but actually to get ready for a new thing so if you're new today, if you're, this is the first time us, I just, I want to welcome you again and just commend this group of people to you. You guys are incredibly loving and welcoming people. Um, and, but if you are feeling new with us and you're thinking about whether to join us, I just want to invite you in, into that. What we're sensing is that, that God's got a new thing for us. Now, um, if we've learned anything over the last couple of years, it's that we really don't know what's around the corner. Isn't it like we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, or it's very biblical. What's going to happen next week or next year? We thought we did, but we really don't. And um, so that's why over the last couple of weeks we've been doing a series on uh, where is it that we're anchored. We've been thinking about this picture of a of a boat at sea, and how critical that anchor is as the storms come and the, and the tides move, that we know where we are fixed to and what and who we are fixed to. Because no matter what tomorrow means or next week or next year, we know that uh, we are anchored in God and in who he says we are. And, and that, I mean, we were just chatting this morning, that there's almost this sort of tension this beautiful tension that God calls us into new things, and yet at the same time, even as we go into new things, God keeps us anchored in the old things as well. Um, and that's kind of what we're, we're exploring a bit. Last or well, two weeks ago, Bonnie spoke about intimacy and our relationship with Father God, and that's just uh, such a critical, critical starting place. And last week, Beck, um, she shared about our connection our, and the importance of our fellowship with each other um, and how God has made us each a part of the body and how we depend on each other. Um, about 10 years ago, Bonnie and I started our first... Uh, it was, we, we, we started leading a life group. It was actually the first life group that we'd led in this church. And we did probably what most life group leaders you shouldn't do, we just said, we're going to lead a life group. We've got permission first. But we're going to lead a life group. And uh, we're not going to invite anyone kind of kind of personally. We're just going to let everyone know. Let the church know. The life group's open. It's at our house if you want to come. Um, and about six or seven pe- I'd say about six people turned up. <clears throat> and five of them were 70 or over. And, uh, which was just such a privilege and such a beautiful Group of people that became good friends. Some of them are here today, and um, but we we realised uh, such a fond memory for me because we realised there is so much that we have to learn from each other as we fellowship together. And can I encourage you if you are a mature Christian, you've been part of this church? and you are looking perhaps for a new fellowship of some kind of connection or a life group, can I encourage you to think about, are there some younger Christians who need that, that what you have, and, and need to hear from you and be in fellowship with you and do life with you? Can I encourage you to try, maybe think about going to a life group if you're not already in one that has a, a younger crowd, because they might love having that, that beautiful intergenerational mix. Because we, no matter how old you get, no matter how mature you get, you need all the other parts of the body. And um, let, me, let me just encourage you in that. So today we are, we're finishing this series, and I'm going to not be too long, you'll be pleased to hear. Um, looking at our purpose as disciples of Jesus, as the, peop- as the people of God. And the Bible has a lot to say about our purpose. So I'm I'm just going to look at one passage from 1 Peter, chapter 2. So if you can grab your Bibles, open it up to 1 Peter. (coughs) Excuse me. Chapter 2, reading from verse 4. Um, We're going to read from verse 4 to 10, but we're going to kind of focus primarily on verses 9 and 10. And if you don't have your Bible, the, the verses should come up behind me. So let's read this. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And they stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. And once you had not received mercy... But now you have received mercy. Father, we just ask that as we read your word today, your spirit would bring it alive in our hearts. Lord, you would connect our heads to our hearts and your truth would sink deep within us. Transform us, Lord. We just submit our hearts to you. Amen. Now, I don't know about uh your house, but in our house, we have lots of slightly random little pots around our kitchen and around our house that are used to collect all the bits and pieces that you never quite know what to do with. Does anyone else have that? It's full of like <clears throat> yeah. It's full of you know, that like half-flat AAA batteries and pens and kind of just paper clips, little plectrums from my guitar or like You know, just random things that you're not quite sure what they're for. Um, In fact, that's kind of sad. Sometimes you go through them and you're like, what is this? And it's like a, it's a doobery thing. You don't even know what to call it because you're not quite sure what it's for. Or maybe you find a key that you don't know what it opens anymore. And it's kind of depressing. Well... That's often how it happens. I don't, you may be a lot more organized. Often what happens is, after a while, that pot sat there for so long and nobody's done anything with it, you just think, well, I'll just chuck it away and see, see if we miss it. You know, that's how, how we clean up in our house. Um, sorry, I shouldn't say that. Um, we, but, but, you know, these things that have, don't have a purpose, that it's, purpose is very important to us, that's what I'm trying to say, that's a terrible analogy. Um, purpose is very important to us, isn't it? We, we spend a lot of our lives thinking about, well, what are we made for? My first job, um, I was about 17. I went and worked in a warehouse. I had really no qualifications at that point. So I was, ended up wrapping toiletry products, like just kind of stacking them and putting them on pallets and, and wrapping them up. And, so they went off to the warehouse or, you know, to the trucks. And I did that for about two weeks and they say, if you're not sure what your purpose is, what you, what you, what you care about, like find out what you hate doing. So th- I found out very quickly I wasn't made for that. It was just soul destroying. And, um, and that, was, that was a good example of finding what, we, what wasn't my purpose. But we don't, we make a big deal of it. We even say to young children, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, do you want to be a fireman or a doctor or a policeman? I'm not quite sure why it's always first responders that we suggest that children be. But, um, you know, it, it's, the point is, it's an important question. And, um, and our culture makes a big deal of it. I think, you know, I'm, I'm pleased in some ways that there's more interest now as you get to a certain point in your working life where people go, Well, what do you really want to do? Maybe you can do a career change. And that's probably a good thing. But it does make such a big deal of it. Now, God is also passionate about us knowing our purpose. But probably for a different reason. And as Christians, God says that our purpose is rooted in our relationship with him. And this passage that we're looking at today in 1 Peter, and I just ask you to put your finger in 1 Peter 2, chapter, uh, verse 9. This passage, it takes us back to the, the foundation, really, of this covenant relationship, this kind of marriage relationship between God and his people. You probably will remember, but there, there is a... Oh, there you go. Thank you there is a very similar passage, very similar words, at a key moment in the story of the people of God. If, we, if you keep one finger in 1 Peter 2 and you flip with me to Exodus 19, this is a moment in Exodus 19 where God has taken the people of Israel out of Egypt, across the Red Sea. He's, he's displayed His power and he brings them to mount sinai and he gives moses there we go thank you he gives moses these words to give to the people he says says to them say this to the people if you obey me fully and keep my covenant then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession although the whole earth is mine you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation Now if we jump back to 1 Peter 2, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Have you noticed there's a few phrases there that are absolutely identical? And in fact, the ones that aren't, well, let's point them out. Special possession, treasured possession appear in both those passages, A holy nation. Exactly the same. And actually, if if we look at the Greek version of the Old Testament, the phrase royal priesthood is what comes up in the Exodus passage. It's just we translated it slightly differently from Hebrew to English. But it's this royal priesthood, holy nation, God's special possession. I I imagine when Peter's writing this, he's got the Old Testament. He's got... The scriptures, as they would have called it then, next to him. Maybe written in Greek. And he's, and he's literally reading Exodus 19. And he's saying, okay, what am I going to say? <laughs> Treasured possession. Royal priesthood. Holy nation. And he's copying those phrases and saying, you are the, this people. And I wonder why you think he does that. What is it about what happens in Exodus that Peter is wanting us to get? For, the, for you theologians out there, I think that's a juicy question. You can have a little chew on it. But just very briefly today, can I suggest one of the things I think that Peter is picking up is in Exodus 19, this is the moment when the Jewish people come and find out who they are and what they're made for. Because up to that point, they're a, they're a ragtag. You know, they're related, but they, they've been slaves for so long. And they don't know who they are. And the enemy, he loves, this is what he plans to do. He, he plans to enslave us like he did the Israelites. And to strip us of identity. So we no longer know who we are or what we're about. And that is a re- that's a really important, powerful thing that we must hold on to. I have, um, I have a good friend who I've known from university, who was my best man, a guy called Tim. And a few years after finishing uni, he went off to work with Jackie Pullinger in Hong Kong. And uh, some of you will know, Jackie's worked for many years with um, folk coming off drugs, coming off the streets... And they're quite famous for some of the work that they've done, particularly in helping drug addicts work through withdrawals by praying for them in the spirit and seeing that process happen painlessly, which is amazing. Tim, my friend, was just so inspired by those stories and went over and worked with them for quite a number of years. I think it was about there eight years or so. And after, after about four or five years, he actually came and stayed with us and spent some time just kind of having some downtime here in Sydney. And telling us all these stories, amazing stories of transformation, what God is doing and done in these people's lives. And as I listened to him, and I was excited to have him, it was lovely to see him, but I I said to him, Tim, here I am, I'm living in suburbs of Sydney. At the time we had like probably a five and a six-year-old. And I said, I am just knee-deep in family and life and job and... What on earth can I do? Like, what good is any of this? <laughs> it was a bit of a desperate question. But he, sa- he said to me, you know what, Rob? Getting people off drugs is easy. Now, I know it's not easy. But what he's saying is the power of God to break that addiction is they saw it all the time. What's hard is that when these guys come off drugs, they don't know... Who they are. They haven't had that loving family experience. They haven't had boundaries and discipline and love and encouragement. And so they don't know what they're about. And they don't have that security of identity to discover that. And so that takes far longer. And they spends years with much of the team there. Trying to, trying to put back what the enemy had stripped away. Through drugs and through those lives. Because our purpose comes from our identity. And that is what the enemy is desperate to strip from us. So why does Peter copy Exodus 19, those phrases? I think just simply, he wants to make this really clear. You are the people of God. You are the people of God. It's really simple. It's really profound. What does it mean? Just It means a lot of things, but just a couple of things this morning. One is this, that you are, the cho- you are chosen by God. In Jesus, you are chosen by God. And I love this. You might see there was a parallel in verse 4 of this passage. It says that Jesus, the living stone, was chosen by God and precious to him. And then when we jump down to verse 9, we hear we are chosen by God and precious to him. So because we are in Jesus, we are chosen by God and precious to him. And you I just since some here this morning you you don't actually you may have never known what it actually means to be chosen perhaps that you weren't loved unconditionally by the people that should have loved you and that that rejection can affect our minds and our hearts and, and affect the way we respond to people and i just sense the Lord wants this to settle in your heart today. He says, I have chosen you. I am choosing you. You are precious to me. This is the language of belonging. This special possession. God says, you belong to me. And um, folks, we are a people of God. Because we belong to God. You know, when, he, when Peter writes this, he's speaking to the early Christians, and they are, you've got to remember, they're a bunch of ragtag people. They're, they're Jews, they're Greeks, there's Romans, there's slaves, there's free men, women. If there was ever a group of people that probably didn't think that they naturally fitted together, it was them. And we are a people of God, not because of our color, or because of our education, or because of where we live, or who our friends are, or who we like to hang out with. We are people of God because his name is written on us. I love that. I love kids' stories. Toy Story comes to mind when I say that. There's a moment in Toy Story where Woody looks at his foot, and he realizes his owner, Andy, has written his name on his foot. We are His because He's written His, well, rather we are a people because He's written His name on us. We belong to Him. And secondly, we are a royal priesthood. This feels like a bit of a funny word, doesn't it? I don't know if you feel like a priest. Does anyone feel like a priest particularly? I kind of get kind of very strange images when I think of that, but. But I'm just going to get you to, to help me out here. What do priests do? Can you, can you tell me? Can you shout out? What do priests do? Anyone? Minister to the church. Minister to the church. Fantastic. Any other thoughts? Make intercession. Make intercession. Yep. Mediating. Mediating. Love that word. Any other thoughts? Serve. Serve. Fantastic. As we look in the Old Testament, we see all those things. We see sacrifices, don't we? Priests, you know, bring the sacrifices to God and they petition, they mediate to God on behalf of the people. And they spend a lot of time worshiping, a lot of time worshiping God, writing songs, making it possible for other people. Had a whole system of worship that the priests ran that got a bit messed up. But they had a whole system of worship that kind of allowed others to come into worship. And like we said there, they had that essential role of being God's representative to people and representing the people to God. So we are a kingdom of priests, but what does that actually look like? That means you, whether you feel like you're a priest or not, you are a priest if you're in Jesus. So when we go out of this place, as we spend our time in our jobs and at home and in the schools and on the street, going to the doctors, doing just all the stuff that we do, there is a priestly calling on our lives. And it, what, is, what does that look like? Well, I think first of all, it's, It's actually calling others to worship Jesus. That system of worship that the priests ran, it was meant to just be an image of what Israel's calling as a whole was. To make a way for the people to come and know and love and worship God. And that is now our calling. That is now part of our purpose. Is to kind of like lay the pathway for folk to come in and to worship God. And that doesn't, that's a very, might seem a bit strange. How am I going to do that? I'm going to pull out a guitar and say, hey, do you want to have a sing? Like, but worshiping God is about coming and knowing the mercy of God. And so we can communicate that mercy of God just by the way we speak to people, by the way we respond to people, especially when they don't perhaps deserve. That mercy. Because we didn't either. And when we spend ourselves on the lost and on the poor and on the outcast, what we're doing is we're actually, instead of bringing the the cut up goat or lamb in sacrifice, we're actually taking our own lives and we're saying, here we are, just like Jesus did, my living sacrifice. And when we spend ourselves on those who who are marginalized, on those who are rejected by society, that's when God looks and says, sees our sacrifice. And he says that, that is precious to me. So please don't hear me say that you have to leave your job and become A pastor or a minister. Because actually we are called to be acting like priests in every sphere that we work in. We are called to minister the grace of God. And to give ourselves as living sacrifices. Will you um, stand with me as we come to finish? I'd love to just pray for us. Holy Spirit we want to thank you for your presence here today Lord we need you we cannot we cannot do this without you and so right now Lord we know what you've called us to do you've called us to do an amazing almost impossible task of being your hands and your feet of representing you to the world standing in the gap and we need your Holy Spirit So come, Holy Spirit, just empower us this morning, we ask. Fill us up. Fill us up, Lord. Strengthen us, Lord. Give us courage to speak out. Keep us close to you. Keep close to your heart. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you would protect us from the enemy who would seek to strip away our identity and our purpose because he's afraid of what it means. Lord, we pray that your words of belonging, of chosenness, would just resonate in our hearts as we go today. As we wake up tomorrow morning. Thank you, Lord. Amen.